0: Hello and welcome to The Parenthood. My guest today is one of my favourite guests ever. Julia Samuel is a psychotherapist and counsellor who on a personal and professional level has transformed my understanding of emotion and the art of dealing with grief. She's passionate about what she does, describing the joy of being able to make those touched by profound sadness feel better able to navigate their lives. She says seeing the relief in people's eyes when it dawns on them that they can do this death and dying thing and the grief thing this talking and feeling thing it only requires the courage to dare well Julia is not only good with words she's also a podcast host author the founder patron of child bereavement UK a mentor and all-round wise woman Julia (laughs) it's an absolute pleasure to welcome you back to the parenthood
2: oh I'm so um delighted to be with you Marina and uh thank you for such a a positive intro
0: well it's impossible not to be positive um, <laughs> i know anyone who's read your books and listened to uh, your podcasts and on um, instagram lives will will agree with me but um obviously you know understanding people who are grieving is is the kind of crucial part of, of what you do. I think it's really important for us as a society to be able to support people who are grieving. Um, what, in your experience, do people who are grieving
2: need? I think, I mean, if you take it a step back, that all of us will at some point, unfortunately, in our lives, grieve. You know, no one can navigate their their life without someone they love and significant dying. So I think this is a universal kind of understanding that would help everyone, not just kind of think you're going to do it for others. And part of it comes from a kind of magical thinking about death and grief, is that if I don't kind of think about it and I don't talk about it, then maybe it's not going to happen to me and it's not going to happen to the people that I love. But of course, when it does happen, it means that they're very ignorant and often they feel like they're doing it wrong because they don't kind of recognize that feeling like you're mad when you're grieving is actually normal in grief and that grief is a natural adaptive process and it's extremely painful and it, you know, you're forced to face the reality that you don't want, that this person... That you really love and care about has died and to sort of answer your question the single biggest predictor of people's outcomes who are grieving is the love and support of others Um, and that actually includes the love towards themselves like being self-compassionate and so when you say how can people help other bereaved people Some of it is by simply being present, like not turning away, not seeing someone who you know is bereaved in aisle two of the supermarket and zooming to the other end of the aisle or kind of being really frightened of saying hello to them at school because you're so frightened of saying something wrong. So I think the kind of first step is to recognise that simply acknowledging someone's loss is a really valuable and helpful gift to that person, that you can't fix this. There's nothing you can say that is going to make it better. And I think we feel powerless in recognizing that and it sort of scares us.
0: I I think that that often explains the kind of awkwardness that some people feel. I remember, um, being very upset when people didn't make any contact with me um, after my son Willem died. And, you know, I'd interpret that as they didn't care. Whereas from them, they were like, well, nothing we can do to make him come back. I don't even know what I'd say. But it was just that classic, you know, misinterpretation of each other's feelings that just makes, you know, the, the people who are grieving feel even more sad and unsupported
2: And alone. I mean, grief is lonely anyway. You know, even two people grieving the same thing, like you and Ben, you grieve it differently and your other children do. And you still feel lonely within a family unit because it is a very kind of isolating process. So you need engagement and love of others. You know, when someone you love has died... The single thing that you need most is the love of others. And the complexity, like you're talking about, of people looking at you with kind of fear is partly this magical thinking, like, I don't want to catch this. But also it's mainly well-meaning that I don't know what to say and I'm frightened I'm going to upset her. Or maybe I'm going to remind her of something that is going to distress her. (laughs) And the fact is... (laughs) You are preoccupied with this loss 24-7. No one can remind you. And actually, by saying Willem's name, you know, remembering his name is, is a gift to you, that he was born, that he existed, that he matters, and he has a name, and he's your child. Um, is an enormously important thing but people are frightened of doing it because it's so real but actually one of the hardest tasks of mourning is facing the reality of the loss Um, so if we all obfuscate behind these kind of screens of of distance then it's it makes it harder for everybody
0: I, I I really recognize what you say about loneliness. And do you think that's got worse as death and baby loss is less common in our society? Because I feel there's almost a little bit of a stigma around grief because it does happen rarely. You know, when it happened to me, I didn't really know anyone who had experienced anything like what I had and I remember um, interviewing a girl called El Wright, whose baby died after a couple of days. And she said that when, you know, it was so beneficial for her, she found a group of women on social media who had all lost babies at around the same time. They were dotted around the country. And she eventually became great friends with them. And she called them her warriors. And she said, you know, just their friendship and being able to talk honestly to people who'd experienced the same devastating thing as she had made her feel so much better and and reflecting on what you said and what she said it's it's you you're no you're no longer doing it alone because I think also with your partner you often grieve in different ways certainly for me and Ben you know I was in a much more intense period of grief right at the beginning for him it affected him a, a lot later and so I did feel extremely lonely in my grief.
2: Yeah I mean I think women and men tend to grieve differently and I think you know, one of the the gifts of social media is that you can travel miles and be close to someone who you've never met before when you have a shared experience like a stillbirth um, or any loss. And I, I think that, I, I mean, this is probably a bit mean, but I think we have some of the American kind of attitude to death that somehow death is a failure, that there's a sense of, you know, winning is living and dying is losing. Um, and certainly, a death out of time, like a stillbirth or a miscarriage or a child dying, fortunately, is very rare. Well, I mean, a miscarriage is one in four, so it, it's less rare, but stillbirths one in a hundred. Um, children, that's six thousand deaths a year. Um, I think it's. I think it's what is difficult about it is that it's everyone's worst fear. And so it's impossible to even think about and kind of seeing you and seeing you suffering reminds or puts people in touch with the possibility that it could happen to them or other people that they love. And they wouldn't, no one would be conscious of that, but also you grieving, you transmit signals of distress that are, that land in the people at the school gate your family, your friends, into our bodies. And so it takes a lot of courage and endurance to sit, because grief often feels like fear, and it's transmitted like fear or distress into our body. So to sit with that and breathe and not have to say something, to listen to you, to say to you, ask you, tell me about Willem, or, you know, what do you need? Um, Should we go for a walk? You know, offering things, um, but being alongside you and listening with space for you to kind of say what you need rather than having to jump in with what I think you need is the key thing, really.
0: Yeah, listening and compassion. I'd love to talk a little bit about, you know, children, because I think it's one thing if you as a parent... Are grieving but then if your child is grieving and you know I'm gonna add into this you know it could be the loss of a sibling it could be uh, the loss of a grandparent or even a pet dare I say yeah of course you know you, we love our children so much we want to take away all that sort of negative feeling and that's why you know the, the sort of story that the uh, the dog went off to live on the farm and they're not dead they're fine because we we just don't want our children to experience that real sadness but It's an important thing for them to learn to navigate and learn to feel. What what do grieving children need? You know, we want to just take away the thing that they're sad about. We want to take away their sadness, but that's not the solution.
2: You're absolutely right. That is the reverse of the solution. And children need to grieve as much as adults need to grieve. And the first thing they need is the truth. They need the same truth as the adults around them because what they don't know they make up and what they make up is much more frightening than the truth so if you think of it as you know i think animals as you know the level of the loss is the level of a of the love is equal to the level of the love so your family pet that that child has known all their life and i know from your wonderful instagram that yours is literally like a sibling that sleeps with them and and, <laughs> and you know is part of their daily kind of family community um, would be a very significant loss, but also it would be a very significant learning of, of that death is part of life and that when you learn that death is part of life, it's much less frightening. And children aren't instinctively frightened of death. They learn to be frightened of it by observing the adults around them. So that if you model that you kind of say to the child that this part you know your grandfather has died say. you know grandpa has died and that means that his body doesn't work anymore he may look like he's asleep but he's not asleep he's died and you don't use passed over um gone to a better place first you use the death word they learn to do that and then you can tell them that they, they learn to kind of believe that and trust that and then you can tell them your belief system whether it's heaven or whether it's whatever your religion is um, and they they can manage it and one of the things that we talk about with children who are grieving is that they very naturally are very sad and they're very naturally okay so it's like jumping in and out of puddles. So they can jump in a puddle and be really sad and miss their grandpa and then jump out of a puddle, eat an ice cream, howl with laughter, then do the reverse. <laughs> and that we don't need to kind of stop them being sad, like you said at the beginning, that you're absolutely right. We need to allow them to be sad and allow them to be happy, normal kids. Um, so I recently I've worked with quite a lot of families with bereaved children, And they're more teenagers, but they fiercely don't want to be different at school to their peers. They want to be the same and they need to be allowed to be the same and also recognize that they do have a vulnerability that they're also grieving. You know, and again, it it could be a grandparent who literally is a huge part of their lives. I think often the death of grandparents is kind of under... It's under-acknowledged how important that can be to their grandchildren.
0: Well, and I suppose for a master's parents, you know, it's people in their 70s and their 80s, we're sort of subconsciously kind of preparing ourselves. This is the sort of twilight years of their, their lives, whereas our children don't do that. And so it's a shock And it's sad, I mean, inevitably sad. But I I also think, you know, from observing my children, they're much better than a lot of grown-ups that I know about being properly immersed in their sadness. You know, when my children, like, lose a, a toy, and they will properly cry and really, really, really sad. And Rage. they'll go to the depths of that sorrow and, and sob. And I will literally just develop them and hug and go, I know you're feeling so sad. I know, I know. And I'm so sorry for you. We'll just hug. And then it's almost like they get to the pit of that sadness. And then they sort of think, okay, all right. I'm ready to emerge from this. But they've embraced that intense emotion. And I certainly felt like with crying, it was really good to just, properly dive into the tears and then I sort of come up again for air and I felt so much better rather than constantly thinking I've got to hold myself to hold it together hold you know hold it on in I mustn't show my emotion in front of my friends or my children or in inappropriate places I sort of learnt just not to care about what anyone thought of me and if I was feeling really sad then I just properly live in that sadness.
2: And you're completely right is that physiologically tears do release Hormones of distress, the sort of cortisol and fear and anxiety of, of, of grief and give you the sort of hormones of feeling calm and relieved and like sort of cleared through the pipes in some way. And so, you know, one of my big messages, and this is as true for children as it is adults, the things that you do to block the pain is the things often over time that do you harm. So if parents don't tell the children the truth and don't just let them get to the depth of their tears, but say, no, no, don't be sad. Don't be sad and distract them and put on a a cartoon or something. They don't get that full kind of circular beginning, middle and end of their feeling, which then releases them to hop off your lap and, and be a happy child.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I get that. I mean, it's, At some point, though, distraction, I found that quite a useful tool. I mean, it definitely came hand in hand with the acknowledgement of the sadness that I was feeling. But I did feel that, you know, that sort of let's go and do something. Let's go and go for a walk or let's go and pick some blackberries or let's go and watch a movie that we all want to watch. That, you know, as long as that acknowledgement was made that wasn't going to take away the pain, but it was just going to distract me for a little bit was actually a really lovely thing.
2: Completely. And you need both. So it's, if you only distract, then that um, kind of keeps your grief stuck and kind of locked in your body. But the kind of movement between allowing yourself to be really sad and finding ways of expressing that sadness. And for some that may be painting, it may be um, writing, it may be crying, it may be, you know, thumping a pillow, but releasing th- what your 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 suffering your pain, pain is the agent of change that is healing, and then oscillating to doing things that distract you that give you joy, that are comforting that are soothing that are uh, um, is work i mean I think work can be a very useful structure when people are grieving Your, your concentration is depleted, but doing a few hours' work, you have a sense of agency and control that you feel when you're so powerless when you're grieving that can be really useful. Definitely cozying up, watching a movie together as a family is really helpful. I think walking and being outside in nature and walking and talking, walking and not talking, skipping, ending up with, with us in a sort of cosy place for pizza and, and um, whatever it is wine i was gonna say coca-cola but wine (laughs) (laughs) maybe Um, not if you're a child (laughs) yeah maybe not um is it's really important because doing the comforting um restorative aspect gives you the wherewithal to go back and do the loss work so it's the oscillation between the two the movement between the two you know and in the first stages of 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 grief, the loss is overwhelming, and the moments of relief are smaller but over time because you've done the work of grief, it frees you to have more time when you can concentrate where you can have if you give yourself permission and that's what often one of the struggles is that somehow you don't give yourself permission to be okay you feel guilty when you smile or or are happy but if you give yourself permission to do that um it supports your grief yeah
0: and what what what's really unhelpful when it comes to to grieving what are, is there anything that society does or that people think is a good thing that actually isn't I mean you mentioned already that sort of protection that you know when a, for a child when a pet dies sort of pretending that they haven't died and making up a story correct story
2: so um I mean the big things are the things that you do to block it, which tend to be the sort of anesthetic things, and so that can be drugs and alcohol, it can be busyness, it can be sex, it can be so it's a it's a it's a a matter of intensity if you if you doing those things having a drink, having sex, you know all of working if you allow yourself to do the grief work, as I said, is healthy. What is unhealthy is if you don't do any of the grief work and you block the pain. And that, you know, as, as human beings, we are wired to adapt. We are, grief is a natural adaptive process that incrementally over time we learn to accommodate and adjust to this new reality, the sort of paradox that what we most don't want, we find a way of learning to live with. But if we block that natural adaptive process by never facing it, you know, what you don't face, you can't fix. You keep it unevolved, unchanged in you. And that's when you can get complex grief. Or as the research shows, 15% of all psychological disorders come from unresolved grief. Um, And they may come out much later. So, you know, I've had many clients whose maybe their parent died when they were eight who, like often children do, they want to be okay, so they kind of knuckled down, they went to school. Often
1: they were very successful, or the reverse. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional.
0: Post your free job on linkedin.com people today.
2: At school, they kind of either rebelled or worked super hard to have control. But then in their 30s, they'd break up with a boyfriend or lose a job. And then all the unexpressed losses from their past will overwhelm them. Um, and I mean, that is often, that can happen anyway, even if you've done the grieving, but it happens in a much more complicated way because you've often got very negative coping behaviours.
0: You've talked about um, learning to live with the grief and a big part of that is obviously what you do as a psychotherapist because, so, you know, I, I saw you from a, we got to know each other after Willem died when when you um, counselled me and, and that was something that I was, really unfamiliar with. I'd never had any kind of sort of therapy before. And I remember thinking, I mean, how is this going to help? The only thing that's going to help is if my, you know, my reality isn't true and my baby's not dead. Um, And I was so wrong. (laughs) I will freely admit now that I think the, you know, the psychotherapy that I did with you was the single most important thing in terms of acknowledging and, as you just mentioned, coming to terms with that reality Um, but talk to me a little bit about psychotherapy and how that works because a lot of people that I speak to who've experienced the loss of their babies it is generally don't really understand how that might help and why it's worth doing
2: well I mean first to say I'm very touched at how open you are about our relationship that that you came to see me as a therapist and um I, I, I'm always moved when, when it makes a difference, that you know, when, when it's helped you. So I'm very kind of touched to hear that. Um, and so if there's someone listening who's grieving now, who is kind of equivocal about whether they should seek therapy or not, I don't think therapy is a panacea for all ills and it's not necessarily the right thing for everybody. But... You know, the purpose of, of therapy is, in, in my terms and every you know there are lots of different models of therapy, and different therapists bring different kind of hues to the, the, the therapy sessions. In my um, practice, I kind of believe if I can create a relationship that you feel seen, that you're allowed to be who you are. And there's a sense of warmth and trust that grows between us that then creates an environment where you can begin to trust yourself and begin to face the pain that you're feeling, you know, in that kind of little 50 minute box, which is quite a safe portion of time. Um, And, the, the you know, Like all therapy, so if someone comes to therapy because their husband has left them or because they have an addiction, you don't solve the problem because most of those problems in themselves are not solvable. What you do is you create an environment where you learn to live or adapt your behaviours or adapt your beliefs, change your attitudes to yourself, so that you can grow through the pain of it and learn to live and engage with life in a different way given what has happened to you. So it may be that you know you were a five-year-old who had very unloving parents. No therapy is going to take away the hurt from that in the same way as when you came to see me. There was nothing that I could do that could take away the hurt and the pain of the loss of Willem dying. But by... It's really discovering yourself. I think the, it, I think what I offered with you was some was some basic understandings of what's normal in grief. That said, normalise what you are feeling, and permission to feel it. But I think it's exploring every aspect of what's going on, what's got stuck here, or. What, why is this thing so painful? Or, And this isn't talking about you, so I'm not breaking any confidentialities. I'm just generalising here. You know, often your relationship with other people, everything shifts when someone um, dies because all of your, your relationship with yourself changes, your relationship with your partner and your relationship with other family members and people closest to you and mothers or fathers at the school gate. So you you have to learn to navigate with, like you, the people who didn't say hello to you or and how you kind of live with your changed world. And only you have the answers for that. But I hope to create an environment where you find, I guess, the courage, the endurance and the capacity to do that.
0: I often describe the therapy that I had as... You know, if you're taught how to do something as opposed to trying to work it out yourself, it's so much easier. Like I've been, uh, I actually had a swimming lesson the other day because my children couldn't make it. So I said, right, I'm going to do the swimming lesson. I've always struggled to do front and because I just taught it to myself. I never learned it. And she, for the first time, taught me how, and she'd made little changes. said, just turn your hand a little bit. And it was suddenly so much easier because I had an expert saying, this is how to do it. And it felt like, before I saw you I was trying to struggle through all these emotions that I was so unfamiliar with and then when I spoke to you you were sort of giving me the tips on how to sort of manage my emotions everyday life the inevitable kind of ups and downs of of life and it just felt like I was I had like a great teacher (laughs) and and i think yeah that was that was just so helpful for me it was like someone helping you navigate i remember saying to you once like i just i don't forget i forget everything i don't remember anything it's like it's like i've got brain damage and maybe i do have brain damage and you said no no it's the grief that is taking up so much of your brain power that of course you're going to have less capacity to remember where you put your keys or where your phone is or whether the children have pe or swimming on a wednesday and just understanding that was just so great. It made me so much happier and more relieved that, you know, I had someone who was... So when I were, that's totally normal. And I could sort of then not have to worry about whether or not I was brain damaged.
2: Yes. and, And I think I would say, I mean, I do have a lot of expertise, but I would say it was much more that it was a collaboration where you learned your own expertise and you learned your own way. I don't think anyone can tell somebody what to do. But I think I think that the thing like the brain, like knowing basic things, like you can't concentrate, that you have like a layer of skin missing. So everything hurts more, whether you can't find a parking place. You know, I was thinking of people grieving this week with the petrol or the food or the, you know, all of that I mean some of them it it may change their perception like what the hell who cares about petrol my husband's just died but other people it might be oh my god my husband's died and I can't get petrol you know it can increase your level of distress and your incapacity to manage and negotiate life's sort of challenges.
0: I know there's I love that analogy of a layer of skin missing you absolutely hit the nail on the head and I kind of wish there was like an outward manifestation for people who were grieving because so often it's people that you see in the street or you have a kind of brief interaction with in a coffee shop and of course you don't realize but the Victorians obviously would always wear black as this sort of be gentle with me, I'm having a really I, rough yeah. time. Wouldn't it be great if there was like a little something that you could wear or do that would just say to the outside world, be gentle with me?
2: I mean, I I, I completely agree. And I talked years ago to the co-op about having a little black ribbon, like you have a pink one or a yellow one um, that you could wear um, and men could have the equivalent. I mean, men can wear it too, can't they? Um, that was a bit gender biased. Um, (laughs) um, and that would just be exactly a signal. Like I've messed up. I've run to get the yogurt that I left behind in the, in the supermarket queue. Be, be gentle with me. Um, be patient with me.
0: And what about children? Um, I mean, it was great for me as an adult to sit and chat to someone that, you know, especially when I hadn't met you. I knew what you did and I had a sort of immediate trust. With children grieving, does, does therapy work in the same way? Is it as effective?
2: Uh, with families where there are bereaved children, my kind of first step with the adults is, you know, the children are facing a, a very difficult, maybe a crisis when something very significant and difficult and painful has happened to all of you. And you are the people they know and trust best. So let's start with me supporting you to be able to support your children and we can find resources for you, books, um, ways of doing memory boxes, ways of, of um, creating, um, uh, ways of talking about the person that's died and they will more happily and openly do it with you. Um, but you know, teenagers who are wanting to kind of individuate may not want to talk to their parents. Um, and even young children might just find it too much. So then I think you know, often people use art therapy, play therapy. So it's, again, it's finding ways of putting... Children need the whole story, a narrative, every piece of the puzzle. So they need to find a way of telling the story that answers the question who, what and why. And... Um, and doing it with other children often takes "I'm a weirdo" out of it. So at Child Bereavement UK, we have group—you know—young people's groups and groups for families that come um, where they can be with other bereaved children, and that I think is really, really helpful.
0: And one of the things that I know you've been working on and is now available is um, the Grief Works app. So it's a, a psychotherapy app, um, which specifically deals with grief, which sounds like the most amazing idea. In fact, I was just emailing someone um, who's very sadly recently lost her, her baby. And I said, you know, the idea of having a therapist in your pocket whenever you need them is just sounds like the most amazing thing. Um, tell me a little bit about,
2: about the app. So, I mean, the app, what I... Okay wanted was this is can be for between sessions with a therapist Um, but now the waiting lists for therapy whether it's voluntary organizations or um, with private therapists way outweigh the capacity of what people need and what I wanted to offer was a full kind of therapy experience to process all the aspects of their grief that, as you said, was in their pocket. And so it's designed by me with this amazing company. um, And there are 28 15-minute courses that look at the different aspects of grief. You know, who died? What happened? Pain is the agent of change. My pillars of strength, how to support yourself, uh, milestone days. So all the kind of different things that you have to encounter as well as 30 so and it's it's not a kind of robot it's the some of it is recordings of me and some of it is my voice on meditations visualizations and it was i didn't want to do that because it was like too much about me but actually a robot doesn't work you have to kind of trust the person um and and so and there's a journal and there's everything that you need in one place so you don't have to go and find a yoga exercise that can calm you or a meditation that can stop you feeling angry or a visualization you know it's all there um and the response has been uh, i mean absolutely amazing i mean i got one yesterday where a man said, I've been struggling with my grief for three years. After 10 days of using your app, I feel better. Um, A woman saying, your app is the best thing that's happened to me since my husband died five years ago. I keep it in my pocket. It helps me at night. And so people kind of access it as their own personal pocket therapist. And they build a relationship with the app in the way that, you know, one of the aspects of grief is... The love you the the task is to face the reality that this person that you love has died, but the love for that person has never died, you know, like you talking about willem, your love for him lives forever, and so part of the app is finding ways of being in relationship to the person that 's died, and that that 's just accessible in their pocket as well as all the things you know you wake up raging with fury, and there 's a an exercise that can help soothe you there 's a You know, all the different aspects that you feel, you know, you feel very frightened um, and overwhelmed and things that can support you through that. So it's it's I, I, I honestly think it has huge potential to help thousands of people. And I and I really, really hope it does.
0: Well, I think, too, you're so you experience such intense emotion when you least expect it. And so it's not like you can plan like on Thursday, I'm going to be feeling really angry. Great. I'm going to book, see my therapist on Thursday. (laughs) Just wake up on Tuesday and you you like shout at your children and you think, okay, I need to, I need to do something. And actually having this um, in your pocket is just brilliant.
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I, and I think, you know, now is the time, you know, there are 4 million being bereaved by COVID um, plus all the kind of normal deaths and, People are more digitally friendly, I think. Um, It's less scary. And as you say, I think it's this accessibility with all the tools that you need is amazingly supportive. It's incredible. You know, people have a relationship with the app, with the person that died and with themselves that is at their disposal 24-7, which, you know, a therapist, it's only, you know, once a week.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Minutes. Even your friends and your family, sometimes yeah. you know, they're just not available. Um, no, I think I think it's such a good idea. And also I noticed on, on the website that um, you can gift it for other people. And actually, I often want to send something lovely and helpful to someone who's grieving. And actually, that I think is a really lovely thing to be able to... So you can buy it, can't you, for someone else?
2: Yeah. And there's a family... So thinking about children, there's a family... Um, aspect to it so that you can share it amongst your family so you know you and your partner and your children um and so you can you often people find it difficult within their family having a a way of talking about these things but the app can be the kind of the the engager that allows them to have quite complicated difficult conversations
0: i think it's also such a positive way about looking at the sort of potentially quite invasive technology it's now in our lives. You know, I see a lot of us speak a lot about how our phones mean that we work so much more of the day and they take time and focus away from our children. Um, But actually using it to be a really positive aspect of our life. I mean, I think we slightly need to get our head around the phone, our phones using it for our benefit as opposed to, you know, making it very, very invasive. And I love the fact that there is this technology now, which means that these you know devices which have many addictive you know things you know they are quite invasive can also be incredibly useful,
2: yeah, I mean, I completely agree with you in that we need to set our own boundaries of putting the phone down and being in the present, not living in a kind of permanent virtual world um and look at you know if you have a hole in your heart and you're looking to find it to be filled on Instagram you know, that is the wrong place to look. You need to look at it with, you know, pick up the phone and ring a friend or even do something for somebody else because actually altruism is a hole filler as much as, you know, being uh, being supported. Um, but with this, it's, yeah, it is the positive side. You know, there are two kind of sitting side by side. There are huge problems and um, I think damage that social media can do, you know, to your sense of yourself and the need for perfection and kind of the awful thing of comparing yourself with others. And then there are these great gifts of like connecting um, those women, you know, mothers who had a stillbirth and communities and, you know, being on Zoom on your phone with your family who's in Australia who you haven't seen or on my app, which, which, gives us a connectivity and a closeness that is incredibly empowering and healing and so
0: broadly speaking what is what is the cost of
2: accessing the app it works out at about 15 pounds a month um you know for all the hours of interaction and if people click on your link on your on your notes page they'll access a discount
0: Perfect. I'll make sure I get that on. Uh, Julia, it's such a pleasure to speak to you as always. I love listening to everything you do. I've also loved um, reading your books, particularly Grief Works, which was a sort of series of case studies of people that you've worked with in different emotional situations. Um, And I thought that was really illuminating. As a society, we don't talk about and prepare people enough about grief. And, you know, hearing you say it's kind of, you know, one of the few absolute things we can count on that we're going to have to encounter and deal with and it just seems a bit crazy that you know children are you know obsessively rehearsing their eight times table and no one is preparing them for this one thing that they're absolutely going to have to deal with so it's so great that you're bringing this conversation into into the mainstream and also making it kind of less scary and more accessible I think it can be quite difficult to talk about grief but you talk about it in such a, a lovely and reassuring way it's 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 really helpful so thank you
2: well it's been a pleasure talking to you and i agree that we need to examine death as much as we examine life and it takes the fear out of it and actually gives us more engagement and enrichment from life when we face it
0: yeah Um, Well, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, And thank you all for downloading this episode of The Parenthood. You can subscribe, rate and review wherever you found this podcast. Uh, You can also follow me on Instagram. I'm at marina.fogle. But in the meantime, from Julia and me, thanks for listening and goodbye.